This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 289, submission number 163, Mr. Merlin. Mr. Merlin aired on CBS from October 7th, 1981 to March 22nd, 1982 for 22 episodes. Working in a garage is not exactly Camelot, but it's where I met Zack. I'm a wizard who works alone. Not anymore. Now they tell me I need an apprentice. And he's it. Be Merlin? You have to be over 1,600 years old. Well, I do 30 push-ups a day and I don't eat fried food. Did you part the Red Sea? No, oh, I'm good, but I'm, I'm not that good. You guys don't need to hear this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The Legend of Merlin dates to the times of King Arthur. We all know he's an enchanter, a wizard, a shapeshifter, a prophecy, and the son of a mortal woman and an incubus from whom he inherits supernatural powers and abilities. Those commonly and notably prophecy and shapeshifting. He's an advisor to the court of King Arthur and an enchanter and diviner of spells and other magics. But what if he was an auto mechanic in San Francisco in 1981? Okay. Well, that's what this series is all about because. Merlin, under the guise of Max Merlin, auto mechanic, is living in San Francisco in 1981, not necessarily looking for an apprentice. Well, actually, yeah, he is looking for an apprentice because his liaison with the magical world, lady by the name of Alexandra, Alex for short, has told Mr. Merlin that he has 72 hours to find and train a suitable apprentice or lose his powers and his immortality. So who does he find? A teenager named Zach Rogers, who just so happened to have pulled a crowbar out of a bucket of concrete. Get it! Wait, I'm not done yet. Bucket is actually the fabled stone, and the crowbar is actually Excalibur. What? Yeah, this is not uh, some sort of weird uh, metaphor for anything. This is actually stuff that happens. It's like Zach pulls the crowbar out to concrete, 
and it magically transforms into Excalibur. All of this is fleshed out in the intro, which you heard at the top of the show. Mr. Merlin is now charged with teaching Zack the ways of the magical, the mystical, and the mythical, all while keeping his identity a secret to anybody who would want to stand to gain from having a magician in their lives. And believe you me, it's hard. But also hilarity ensuing. So who are the people behind Mr. Merlin? Well, the show itself is created by two people that we've talked about on this podcast before. The team of Larry Rosen and Larry Tucker. If you remember, we've talked about them all the way back in the before times when we talked about Jennifer Slept Here. Well, you did. I wasn't here for that. Well, uh, yeah. It's um, the only episode to date in the continuity that I was not on. Maybe one day we'll do it again as Jennifer Slept Here, the one where Greg actually showed up to it. Yeah, I was like, Today, the role of Greg Dieter will be played by Chris Lane. But yeah, Larry Rosen and Larry Tucker, before they did Jennifer Slept Here, they did this for CBS. And they got the standard order of 13, of which they wrote five of the episodes, including the pilot. And apparently it was good enough for them to back, not only to back order the uh, nine extras for the full season, but also to move it to a competitive time slot, but we will get to that momentarily. Now we have our players, all of which figure into the new mythology of Merlin's life in San Francisco and his new apprentice. Max Merlin, a.k.a. Mr. Merlin, a.k.a. Merlin, is played by Barnard Hughes. Legend of stage and screen. And now he is known mostly for roles as a curmudgeon, a sort of crazy old ditherer, a gentle grandfather figure, or a drunk. Take your pick. No, not a drunk. Wasn't a drunk? It was a judge. He was a judge. A judge. No, I, I, I was saying that he's uh, in our little pre-show chat that I compared him to uh, Dick Wilson, the Mr. Whipple actor who was being typecast as a drunk. Bernard Hughes, taking a look at his IMDb, quite a bit, especially around this time in the early 80s, late 70s, he was frequently cast as a judge. Or a doctor. Some sort of intellectual type, yeah. Some sort of, uh, yeah. Uh, some of the uh, most well-known films that he was in was The Lost Boys, Doc Hollywood, and Tron. I want to rewatch Tron now. I haven't seen that in a while. He was also a doctor on, he was the titular doctor, actually, in 1975's Doc. He was a priest on three episodes of All in the Family. He was the patriarch of the titular family in future entry The Cavanaugh's. 
Oh, by the way, all you 90s kids will probably recognize him as Buzz Richmond from Blossom. Whoa, whoa. Playing his young charge, Zach Rogers, is Clark Brandon, who he was a that guy from that thing in the 80s and early 90s. He played Eddie Brennan in four episodes of The Facts of Life. But he was one of the three kids that was taken care of by Jimmy Brogan in 12 episodes of Future Entry, Out of the Blue. Oh, the 1970s version of Out of the Blue. Yeah, not the one that takes place in an Orlando Sea World. And in one episode, Dennis Scott had a cameo in it. I remember that. We may cover that in a future episode. The nineties out of the, we could cover the seventies out of the blue, and we could cover the nineties out of the blue. Out of the blue, bell azul. Timing is right. Never. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, the seventies out of the blue. That was a Miller Milkus joint. Of course, Zach has a mortal life, and it is exemplified by his best friend Leo, played. By Jonathan Prince. Wait, Chico, do you mean the same Jonathan Prince from future installment? Quiz Kids Challenge? The very same, yes. Quiz Kids Challenge was his job after he finished working with Diana Cronova and a couple of actors named Jane Leaves and Paul Walker on a little show called Throb. Man, yeah, that's where yeah, that's where I remember him from. Man, what talent! You had Diana Canova, you had Jonathan Prince, and you had Paul Walker, and and, and Jane Leaves. Am I the only one who remembers Jane Leaves? Okay, yes, Daphne, of course. Everyone loves Daphne. Oh yeah. If I could find one of the Red Dwarf pilots, you bet your ass I'm going to cover for Pilot Month. Wait, Jane Leaves was on a Red Dwarf pilot? She played Holly on one of the Red Dwarf pilots. Oh, wow. And rounding out the cast is Max Merlin's liaison with the magical world, Alex, Alexandria, to strangers, played by the vivacious Elaine Joyce. And if you don't know who Elaine Joyce is, what podcast are you even listening to? Well, to the game show fans, maybe, but everyone else is like, who the hell is Elaine Joyce? She was married to Neil Simon. Yeah, and she was Bobby married Van. to Neil Simon and Bobby Van. So, yeah, don't make it sound like, you know, who's Elaine Joyce? Neil Simon is probably the biggest name among American playwrights in the 20th century. And Bobby Van is very good, too. He hosted show-offs. He hosted show-offs and make me laugh. And Fun Factory. Fun Factory. But yes, this is that part in the 80s where Elaine Joyce was being courted as sort of an older sexy lady. She was the she was the MILF prototype, I guess. I don't We didn't come up with a term for MILF until John Cho said it in American Pie. Yeah. But Elaine Joyce was definitely in that period. And together, they conspired to teach young Zach how to be a magician and also 
how to be a man. Not in that way, perverts. But yeah, I'm looking through the episodes, and it's basically a teenage escapade plus magical solution plus magical solution goes wrong plus lesson should be learned equals nobody learns anything. Am I right? I suppose. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's let's go over what we have here on the docket. Because this was a full season worth of episodes. Very rare that we cover a full season's worth. But here, here we go. Starting with the pilot, where Merlin, who nowadays operates an auto mechanic shop, meets Zach, who he takes on as his new apprentice in both sorcery and fixing cars, after he pulls a crowbar out of a bucket of concrete. This leads to all sorts of discoveries, including Mr. Merlin's house, and inside of it, the crystal door. You go through the crystal door, you go up a flight of stairs, seemingly in space, or maybe in the void. I'm going to go with the void on this one. And you arrive at this gigantic white sort of palatial foyer. It's called the Crystal Room. And it essentially serves as a conduit between our realm and the magical realm. Kind of, sort of, yeah. And it's where Merlin's powers are at their most potent. And by extension, Zack's powers are at their most potent. This will all play out in episode two. But we'll get to that. Well, also, I almost look at it as sort of like, oh boy, how do I phrase this? I I don't want to get too overly technical since I know you guys love your Doctor Who. I almost sort of compare it to the inside of the TARDIS in in terms of that being the hub of everything because Merlin's spell book was there and you actually saw Zach and Leo reading from the spell book and the potion book and so it, it, it isn't necessarily a conduit, I don't think. It, it's almost like maybe a warehouse, a storeroom? Yeah, but it exists between uh, planes. Well, that's true. That That is very true, yes. Which is why I was like, this is a conduit between our world and the magical realm. And did we even mention that uh, part of the uh, the basis of this pilot is that Merlin needs an apprentice? Uh, yeah, we, that's part of the, uh, that's actually part of the premise of the show. It's like, Merlin needs an apprentice or he'll lose his powers and presumably his life. Yeah, and also, again, me and my short-term memory, did we mention that Mr. Merlin is an auto mechanic? Yes. Yes, we did. He's an auto mechanic in San Francisco in 1981. Yeah. So Mr. Merlin's house, you have the crystal door, you have the crystal room, and you have Zach just learning about everything. And of course, who is right next to Zach when he's learning about everything? If you said Mr. Merlin, you are sadly mistaken. It was his friend Leo, who is hard up for a date to his he's hard up for a date 
Well, so is uh, Zach in this uh, pilot. Yeah. Because they were going to go to some, I don't know if it's prom or homecoming or formal. And he heard that the girl that he liked already had somebody. Yeah. A guy and, by and, the name of Steve Harrington. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't Joe Carey a little not yet born? Or the, <laughs> hold on a second. Remember, the character would exist in 1981, except this show is set in San Francisco, not Indiana. True. Oh, and, and then also Mr. Merlin says, oh, yeah, give her a call. And he magically makes a phone booth appear in this sort of field they're walking through. And, and he reluctantly uh, goes to the phone booth and calls and says, uh, do you want to go to the, the winter formal, the winter formal, whatever dance it was. And to his surprise, oh, yeah, my uh, the person I was going with suddenly got sick. Oh, Mr. Merlin is evil. He's making people sick. You should see the things he can do with your random run-of-the-mill skateboard. Oh, I saw that. Oh. And he almost like uses it sort of uh, in a blackmail sort of way. Oh, you will come back to me. You're not going to tell your mom yeah, about all this. He enchants the skateboard so he could, uh, you know. He enchants everything. Because uh, in that pilot, you saw him as a cable car operator, and you saw him as a policeman. He just takes over all sorts of personalities. He does. Yeah. So, Leo and Zach are in the crystal room, and what do they do? They make one of the things that I believe Mr. Merlin specifically forbade. They make a love potion. Oh, and let's just say hilarity ensues. Oh, yeah. They use the love potion and it turns into a foam party. Oh, there's bubbles all over the place. Bubbles all over the place at this prom or dance or whatever the hell this is. Yep. And obviously, Susan... And Julie, the two dates, totally freaked out about this. And they're like grabbing their they're grabbing their purses, deuces. Which sort of leads Zach to a moment of clarity where he admits to everything. And Mr. Merlin is there in the guise of a firefighter, tells Alex to tell the magical council. I've got an apprentice. And with three minutes to spare. And then reverses the spell. Because apparently he can do that sort of thing. Thanks to a spell that Zach learns, he's able to erase Leo's memory. So Leo has no knowledge of magic, no knowledge of Zach's job as a magical apprentice, and no knowledge of how to make a love potion. Good! But he has full knowledge of Quiz Kiz Challenge nine years later. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> hey, it's a good show. It's not hardly my fault it lasted a year. Anyway. Hey, it's hardly the worst game show that came out of 1990. Are you talking about Mr. Black? Card? No, I'm talking about Tic Tac Doe 90. Oh, yeah. 
Did we really want to hear the dragon rap? No. No. All right, episode two, The Cloning of the Green. Max teaches Zack a duplicating spell, but he falls short. He is trying to duplicate a rose, ends up duplicating the wrapper instead. Leo tells him that he and some guys are going on a camping trip, and he needs a dirt bike in which he can rent for $50. Wait, plus, hold on. Did you say something that he can rant? Something he can rant! For $50 money. Money! (laughs) But here's the thing. It also comes with a handling fee of $50 cash money. So he needs $100. All he has is a 10 so, he convinces Leo to leave his dirt bike in the shop. Zach tries to duplicate it. Hilarity ensues. And Merlin's like, hey, don't give up. I mean, sure you don't have any luck with a dirt bike, but look at what you did with green paper. And then he remembers he had a $10 bill in his pocket. He goes to the crystal room and duplicates the $10 bill. And because it's the crystal room, it won't stop duplicating. Oh, no. So suffice it to say, it looks like the fantasy fountain in there after too long. Yeah. Didn't think I'd bring that up, did you? Sort of timely. You had fantasy about a year later? Yeah. Different network, though, but whatever. Yeah, different network, yeah. So, Alex tries to teach Zach a lesson on A, how to stop a duplication, and B, how to reverse it. Unfortunately, he does have enough to rent the bike, but he leaves a 10 on the ground just outside the crystal door. Which quickly replicates and covers the whole house. The person who rented Zach the bike arrives at the shop and the house. By the way, Mr. Merlin went to a Rams 49ers game in LA. So he was out of town. By the way, this version of Merlin, huge 49ers fan. Well, remember, this is 1981, the year the 49ers had their first Super Bowl run. Hey, wait a minute. I just remembered. Super Bowl 16 was on CBS. Super Bowl 16 was on CBS. You'd think they'd have, like, perfect corporate synergy with this and Mr. Merlin. It would have worked. really would have worked. You could have had Bernard Hughes at Super Bowl 16. Missed opportunity, CBS. Missed opportunity indeed. Anyway, the man who rents him the bike returns to the shop with the $100 and notices to Mr. Merlin that the dollar bills are absolutely perfect right down to their serial numbers. Susan? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. So the man approaches Max. Hey. 
You tell me how to get more of these things and I won't have to go to the police. Turns out the whole house is full of them because the money will not stop duplicating. Enter Alex in a maid's costume. She's getting rid of all the money and Max is trying to usher the unscrupulous man out the door. You know, because now everybody thinks he's crazy. So now that Max is back in town and found out what Zack did, it's time to teach Zack a lesson. With a wave of his magical whatever, he turns Zack into a wanted fugitive. Jeez. Literally sends him on a mind trip because there's a guy in a bike, a biker, grabs Max and sends him on the ride of his life through the throughout the city. But apparently it was all in his head. All that just to teach him a lesson about trying to duplicate money. You could duplicate a lot of things with magic. Money would not be one of them. Money! Money! <laughs> yeah, and playing the role of Roy Orkins, which is the uh, unscrupulous sort who rents Zack the bike, Pat Corley, who we talked about in previous no, we didn't talk about it in previous installments. Oh, we talked about him in at least three previous installments. Well, we, oh, I was thinking of a future installment. We probably did talk about him in previous entries, but I was thinking about him as Sheriff Myron Thorpe in Safe by the Bell Wedding in Las Vegas. That's one that I'm talking about. But also, we talked about him previously on Aftermath, and we talked about him in The Powers of Matthew Starr. Episode 3. Star Sand. Zack uses a vial of magic sand to crash a posh party for a gorgeous model. And in the role of said model is a very gorgeous woman indeed, Tanya Walker, who plays Olivia St. John in General Hospital, Alex Olenoff in One Life to Live, and Grace Dancier in Passions. Yes, she stars in Your Mama's Stories. Episode 4, The Music's In Me. Aspiring guitarists Zach and Leo try to audition for a rock promoter. And playing the role of said rock promoter, Robert Denmark is... Well, actually, he's I don't think he's a rock promoter. I think he plays a role, but not as that role. Because there's somebody called Major Scooter Washington, played by John Fetcher. That would probably be the um, role that they're talking about. But also appearing in this episode as Robert Denbark, Robert Mandan, who we did talk about previously. We talk about soap often enough. Yeah. But we will talk about him at the end of the year. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, we're definitely going to talk about him at some point. But did I mention that the first three episodes were directed by somebody we talked about not too long ago, Greg? Oh. Bill Bixby. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He was directing at this time. I think starting to direct, right? Yeah. Did he direct uh, one or two episodes of the last season of The Incredible Hulk? 
Yeah, I think so. Oh, you know what he also directed, Chico? What did he also direct? He directed Blossom. It all comes back to Blossom. Whoa, whoa. And also, it should be added that this was just after Soap ended. Because mm-hmm. Soap ended in 81, and this is fall of 81, so that's why he's available. Uh-huh. Episode 5, All About Sheila. A concerned Zack turns invisible to find out what's troubling Leo. I'm guessing it's a girl named Sheila that's troubling Leo. Because apparently that's all he seems to talk about. And for good reason. Because you know who plays Sheila? Janine Turner from Northern Exposure. And that one season of Friday Night Lights. And that one season of Friday Night Lights. Because as we all know, Northern Exposure is by hour-long CBS swings. One big name in this episode, and this is a recurring character in this series, uh, I think he makes uh, four appearances total playing Sam, mm-hmm. the one and only Phil Morris. A.K.A. Greg's kid, A.K.A. Jackie Childs. And really, what more needs to be said? But we'll be talking about him again later this summer. And also, as I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, he's pitching Snyder's of Hanover uh, pretzel pieces, flavored pretzel pieces. I got my bag right here. Parmesan garlic. And they are loaded with flavor. Yeah. I see those ads on Young Rock Season 1 on Freebie all the time. Did they not have honey mustard? They have honey mustard. I just don't like honey mustard. I love honey mustard. Episode six, the two faces of Zach. Zach needs to be in two places at the same time, so he created an identical double of himself. What he didn't know was that he created an evil version of himself. Uh-oh. 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 When he learns of what he did and tries to get rid of him, he can't. Because the evil version of himself is stronger than him. Hear that, kids? Evil is stronger than good. So it's up to Max, but first he has to find out which Zack is the real Zack. We have a known character in this one play the role of Stevens is Kenneth Kimmins. Of course, you remember from the later seasons of Coach. Yeah, we just talked about him within like the last month or so. We did. Yeah, we talked about him in the 10 Speed and Brown Shoe episode. Episode 7, A Moment in Camelot. When Zach uses one of Max's books to write a school paper, he didn't know that he wrote down Max's formula for turning lead into gold. The teacher discovers this and is interested in where Zach got it. Zach learns that if Max's secret ever gets out, he would lose everything. His powers, his immortality, his place in the magical realm, and apparently his life. So Max arranges for the man to meet him and discovers that the man is a bit of a fam. Playing the role of the teacher Herbert Montrose, Richard Basehart. Oh, Richard Basehart. Yeah, the narrator for Knight Rider. You know, Knight Rider. 
a shadowy flight into the life of a man who doesn't exist. Or, you know, something like that. And also in this episode, we have as Miss Wardell and Seymour, who is also no longer with us, but she was the uh, Chisholm newspaper publisher in Field of Dreams in 1989. And we also talked about her uh, in O'Hara playing Ivanovna in the episode Daryl. And Greg, she was also in three episodes of The Magical World of Disney. Oh, which the wacky, episode? The Leftovers and both parts of The Wacky Zoo of Morgan City. The Wacky Zoo of Morgan City. I don't know whatever that is, but guess what? I'm putting that on the list. The Wacky Zoo of Morgan City. Anytime we find a weird entry from the wonderful world or the magical world of Disney, it's going on the list. What was that again? The Wacky The Wacky Zoo, Zoo of Morgan City. Morgan City. I need to see who's in this. The Wacky Zoo of Morgan City. Hang on. It's from 1970, and it has Hal Holbrook, Wally Cox, and Joe Flynn. Oh, that's great. Hey, it has Wally Cox in it, so you know it has quality. Oh, definitely. Episode 8, A Message from Walsheim. Zack takes on the town toughs with a teleporting trick. Playing the titular role of Walsheim is Frank Lloyd, who is nowadays a stunt person for Smoke and Aces, There Will Be Blood, Independence Day, and Swordfish. But yes, he also played in 21 episodes of the WB's Answer to Married with Children with a Bunny, Unhappily Ever After. And 15 episodes of the original Married with Children. Episode 9. Take my tonsils, please. Merlin comes down with a case of tonsillitis. Well, 1600 years and you haven't had your tonsils taken out? It's modern medicine versus mythical magic. I wonder who's going to win that one. But yeah, we have a couple of big names in this one. Playing Nurse Holloman is Susan Bay, now Susan Bay Nimoy, who you would probably recognize as a that woman from that thing. She was in Mannix, Perry Mason, and two episodes as Admiral Rollman in... Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But obviously with that name, you know who she was married to. I do know who she was married to. Well, yeah, to. She, she, she's the widow of uh, of Leonard Nimoy. But guys, guys. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I just do it, Greg. I know where you're going. I know where you're going. I know where you're do going. you know who she was married to from 1978 to 1986? I know. Chico, I do you want to guess? Greg, just say it. Just, just say, say it. it. I, I Put it beyond, man. Just say it. John Shuck. But that explains why he's in Star Trek 4. Oh, the former and the current in the same movie. 
That's not awkward at all. No. Oh, and we should also add she's the cousin of Michael Bay. What? So we have three biggies. I'm not joking. Cousin of Michael Bay. So you got Michael Bay, you got Leonard Nimoy, and you got John Shuck all intertwined with Susan Bay Nimoy. How great is that? This has been tonight's edition of Who Are Three Men Who Have Never Been in My Kitchen? Well, one of them is not around anymore. I know, but still, Leonard Nimoy was never in my kitchen, so. As far as you know. As far as you know. Maybe he stuck into my kitchen once. Maybe. And playing the role of Dr. Hutton is Stacy Keach Sr. Not that Stacy Keach, the other Stacy Keach. His daddy. His daddy, yes. Played Senator Adams in Pretty Woman. <laughs> Episode 10 The Ache. Merlin tries to teach Zach the meaning of inner beauty. My guess is he's using, he's trying to use magics to get women. Because that's what you do when you're 15 in San Francisco and you're a wizard in training. No one I've noticed in this episode. So, yeah. Well, I'm going to add one just because I'm looking at... Uh... Uh, her IMDb mm-hmm. <laughs> playing uh, Chris Kelly in this episode is an actress named Becky Pearl. The only thing that, that really she was on more than one episode of is something called Hero High in 1981, which looks like a Saturday morning cartoon. I know what Hero High is. That's part of the kids' superpower hour with Shazam. Yeah, she, she was glorious gal. Oh my god! I just now I remember her. Now I remember her. She okay. So, uh, the kids' superpower hour with Shazam, in brief, was basically uh, Hero High and the New Adventures of Shazam. This was a filmation joint, and in between the two, you had a band of superheroes, a literal band of superheroes. And they were playing music and getting into hijinks in between the two cartoons. So that's where she's from. Well, also, I mentioned it because she was in something called Likely Stories Volume 3 in 1983. Oh, God, that sounds dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It it isn't necessarily. But uh, the thing is, if you see a picture of, uh, of Becky Pearl, gorgeous lady. She is a beautiful woman. In this show, whatever it is, she starred as Unit 36C. The jokes write themselves. Good night, everybody. There you go. (laughs) Episode 11. Yeah, move on real fast, please. Not so sweet 16. Well, Zach just turned 16, which means it's time for him to take the road. Hopefully not on a dirt bike that he duplicated poorly. So Merlin agrees to help Zach get a van. Because, come on, who wouldn't want a van in 1981 in San Francisco? Playing the role of the girl of the week is Kimberly Beck. 
she's a real nice looking lady. She plays Susan. She was also in your stories. She was uh, in Capital from 1982 to 1983 and Dynasty from 1986 to 1987. She's also Trish in Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Which wasn't the final chapter. No, it was not. No. Not even close. They made like five or six more of them. Yep. She was also in 36 episodes of Peyton Place. Episode 12. Romeo and Dreidelwood. Zach wants to try out for the school play to impress a girl. It's always to impress a girl with this guy. This guy. But his acting is terrible. He tries using a magic spell to make everyone see him as an amazing actor. Playing the role of Cindy, the girl he's is, is Cindy the girl he's trying to impress? I think so, yes. I, I'm not 100% sure because I can see where you have sort of mixed feelings on this because there's two sort of beautiful women in this episode, but one of them is definitely not 16 years of age or by any stretch of the imagination near 16 years old. That would be Deborah Hex, who plays Cindy. This is her only credit, according to IMDb. And playing Laura Kelly in this episode is Anne-Marie Martin. I believe she might be the girl he's trying to impress. Well, no, I think it's actually the other way around. Because the thing is, Anne-Marie Martin at this point would have been like 24, 25 years old. Well, here's the thing, though. They're all playing 16-year-olds, but they're all in their early 20s. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I know, I, don't I know. know how aging works in 80s San Francisco. I really don't. Well, I, I, I know, you know, Clark Brandon and Jonathan Prince were both like 23, 24 in this show. But, I mean, Jonathan Prince can pull it off because he looked very young. Oh, yeah. He's got that uh, whole Michael J. Fox thing going for him. But, yeah, Anne-Marie Martin was pretty much everywhere. She played... Clea Lake in the 1978 version of Doctor Strange. Oh, I got three better ones. Oh, I got three better ones. This is partially for Greg and this is partially for the show. She was a celebrity contestant on Hot Potato. Hot Potato! Hot Potato! Hot Potato, guys! Hi, guys. It's me, Johnny Olsen. I'm back. Get out of here. Get out of here, you crazy ghost. I know. Oh, I'm no. a ghost, and I'm I'm stuck in Greg's room. I don't know why he never lets me out of the room. Because, Johnny, I put you in the corner like a month ago. Okay? You were talking about Pulse even in the Lady Blue episode. So you're not allowed to leave. But Greg, I just want to get out of the house. Look, after the show, we'll talk about it. Just, just continue to sit in that corner. All right, fine. Whatever you say, you ass. Okay, now since Johnny Olsen is invading Greg's house again, I'm not going to say that Anne-Marie Martin was also on a week ago. Yeah, she was on go. But also... To fill the show requirement, she was on a week of, and actually, I think she was on the last week of, if not the last week, the second to last week of the match game Hollywood Scores Hour. Oh, there you go. There, 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 there's the quota. It's filled. Hold on. Did she have the 30? 
I have the episodes on my computer right here. If you want me to take a look, I'm the not only, even yeah. joking. Yeah. The only thing she's missing is a credit on an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but that would be way too uh, early. Yeah, way too early. <laughs> okay, she was on the second to last week. I'm sorry. Uh, because the last, well, last week would have been uh, late July, July 23rd of 84 to July 27th. Okay, she didn't have the 30 there. Hold on. <laughs> I'm doing live research. I'm, I'm pulling up the five episodes because we're getting closure on this. Did she have the 30? Did she have the 30? Pull your tap. No, she had a 10 there. Womp womp. Oh, my gosh. This is so great. we do have uh, appearances from Ann Seymour and Bill Morris in this episode as well. So. She had the 30 on the Wednesday episode. There you go, Greg. She had Yay. the 30 on the Wednesday episode. <laughs> Aren't you glad I did live research? Very much so. Episode 13. Wait, 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 wait. She oh, also had on the Tuesday episode. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm going in reverse order in case you can't tell. I did Friday first. Now I, I'm sure she if didn't you have said it three she days. Had it on wait, wait. Monday, I'm going to lose. Okay, it. if she no, she couldn't have had on three in a row. If no, only... Judy Landers had it on the Monday episode. Okay. I'm sorry. If, if only that British guy who kept picking Linda Dana was on that week and picked her instead. Right? He would have still lost a lot of money. Oh he yeah, he still would have. He still would have lost a lot of money because he sucked. Uh, he, yeah, he, he, he was bad. He was horrible. Episode 13, Getting to Know You. Mr. Merlin and Zach go on a camping trip together for a bonding experience, while Alex and Leo spy on from a distance. So this is a Getting to Know You episode, a Trapped in a Small Environment episode, and a Bottle episode all in one. Because I know those special effects aren't cheap. Yes, they only have the one, which is just like a blinding... uh, flare of some sort also i think we can tell it's a bottle episode because there are absolutely zero guests mm-hmm. zero episode 14 alex goes popless get it all out of your system guys. anyway alex loses her ability to go anywhere or pop as she refers to it so max tries to restore it but it somehow ends up in Leo, who finds himself going to places far away. We have a couple of uh, big names in this episode. Playing a bum is Woodrow Parfy, who would be about two or three years removed from his stint as the conductor of the Time Express. He was also on other future entries, Bring Him Back Alive, Bay City Blues, and The Yellow Rose. Oh, my mistake. He wasn't the engineer of the Time Express. He was a ticket clerk. And then we have as the bus driver, Mel Stewart, who was in the 1977-1978 TV series Tabitha. Yes, the sequel series to Bewitched. But he was also in Scarecrow and Mrs. King in the Heat of the Night and played Principal Rockwell in Made in America with Ted Danson, Whoopi Goldberg, and Will Smith. 
And we talked about him in the past because he was a regular on one in a million. Yep. Oh, by the way, is on Crackle. One in a million is on Crackle. One in a million is on Crackle. Nice. So one in a million is on Crackle, but we still don't have Mr. Smith streaming. We're going to have to abandon our Paramount Plus strategy and go straight to the folks at Crackle. Yeah. Crackle. How we have to attack this. Yes. Crackle. Give us Mr. Smith. Episode 15. Everything's coming up daisies. Zach tries to find the perfect date to the school dance, playing on multiple girls, while Leo can't find any date at all. Alex and Mr. Merlin use magic to teach Zach a lesson and give Leo the attention he lacks. We should probably mention, if Mr. Merlin is the better angel of Zach's nature, Leo is Zach Morris. Zach Morris is trash. And oh god, two of the girls in this episode are... They weren't known entities then. They are certainly known entities now. The first one playing the role of Daisy is Catherine Mary Stewart, who you would know as Maggie Gordon in The Last Starfighter. Or maybe Gwen Saunders in Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, yes! She was Gwen in Weekend at Bernie's. And as you all know, as much as I love wings, everyone knows that I love Weekend at Bernie's because that's my Andrew McCarthy wings, as I've mentioned many times. No, your Andrew McCarthy wings is Mannequin. You showed me the Blu-ray. I know that, but I like Weekend at Bernie's. That is my Andrew McCarthy wings. Okay. And playing the role of Beverly in this episode, Rita Wilson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this was, uh, she was doing things like Mr. Merlin, BJ the Bear, a man called Sloan. She was on an episode of Flying High. We talked about that. Yeah, I don't think her and Tom Hanks met until they did Volunteers. If you want to hear us rip on Rita Wilson, go back and listen to the Flying High episode. Yeah. Episode 16, The Egg and Us. Zach and Leo plan to make big bucks marketing a puzzle that can't be reassembled once it's taken apart. This is a magical thing, obviously. Although... You know, if you were to ask Leo, he probably wouldn't be able to put it together with magic. Playing Mrs. Hopewell is Chrissy Wilzak, who I believe would be coming off doing the last season of Mork and Mindy. So, yeah, that's a thing that happened. Episode 17. How to help a gymnast in a foreign country. A foreign gymnast comes to San Francisco for a competition. Now she's frustrated with her coach's strict program and runs away. She runs into Zach and they bond. Later, her coach finds her and takes her back. Zach feels sorry for her, so he and Max go to her training session, and Max convinces her coach to let Zach spend an hour with her, which Zach makes full use of. Playing the role of the coach is the coach Helga, 
Carol Rosen, who would be Dr. Fancher in the original Stepford Wives. That's about as big as her career ever got. Because she was a that woman from that thing. Playing the gymnast, Elena, is Carrie Sherman, who would go on to play Rosalie in 1982's 48 Hours, but is known for playing 151 episodes of Santa Barbara as Amy Perkins Wallace. And then playing himself would be Mario Machado, who you would probably remember as one of the two newscasters in the Robocop movies. Okay, so get this. Uh, Mario Machado, typically seen on television as either a news anchor or a news reporter. If If I'm not mistaken, he is a news anchor and a news reporter. And in 1967, here comes Chico's Nido fact of the day. In 1967, Mario Machado became the first Chinese-American on-air television news reporter and anchor in Los Angeles and perhaps in the nation. A year later, he signed on as a color commentator for CBS Sports and as a soccer player himself, revolutionized the world of sports commentating with his personal insight and dramatic flair. Then he made television history again when he became the first consumer affairs reporter in the nation for what was then KNXT Los Angeles, but is now KCBS Los Angeles. Oh, neat! Sadly, Mario Machado no longer with us. Episode 18, Change of Venue. And episode 19, Change of Venue Part 2. This was originally... uh, broadcast as an hour-long episode. Apparently, CBS had a lot of faith in this TV show, or they were just trying to burn it all off. I don't know. But here we go. In part one, Zach's mother is having problems with her boyfriend and turns to Max for help. And in part two, it may be goodbye for Mr. Merlin and Zach, but Zach's mother plans to leave San Francisco playing the role of Zach's mother, Elizabeth Betty Rogers, Betty Garrett. Of course, known for two seasons, Irene Lorenzo on All in the Family. And really, I think she's best known as Edna DeFazio from Laverne and Shirley. When I see that face, I remember her on Laverne and Shirley. Edna mm-hmm. Bavish DeFazio. And then playing the man of the day, Harry Reiner, Eugene Roche, of course known as E. Ronald Malou on Soap, Eddie Donahue on Airwolf, but perhaps more memorably, Bill Parker on Webster from season two onward. Also, he was Christine Sullivan's dad on Night Court. Oh, yeah. And E. Ronald Malou, he was a lawyer... I believe, and this is, I think, the season three cliffhanger going into season four. I believe it had to do with, and we talked about it in the past, with um, with, with uh, Jody 
possibly about the conversion therapy they tried putting Jody through. Cause we talked about his girlfriend that he had uh, for part of season four, a number of episodes back. Uh, one of the uh, sort of cockups in this episode is when Merlin stops the members of Zach's party. Some of them move when they're supposed to be frozen, which is a common mistake when you're dealing with time shop scenes or something. Episode 20, an absence of ambulance. It's in the cards, the tarot cards, that Zach is in for a bad week. Episode 21, Arrivederci, Dink. Merlin's favorite hot dog stand is going to be swallowed by a new shopping center. Oh, oh God. You know who's, oh, two really big names in this episode. Playing the role, playing a role is Anne Jeffries. We'll be talking about her next year. Of course, she played uh, Tess Trueheart in the Dick Tracy films from the 40s, but also played uh, Amanda Barrington on General Hospital in Port Charles and Irene Buchanan, Mitch's mom, on Baywatch. But play the role of Dink! Somebody we talked about on this podcast, a veritable legend. On the, he's making his all-star case right now here. Whitman Mayo. Grady. What else can we say? That's it. Grady. 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 It's Grady. And the last episode, episode 22, I was a teenage loser. Zach uses magic to give a badly needed boost to Leo's ego. Of course, we have a couple of ladies in this episode. Terry Landrum plays Susan. A lot of Susans on this show, I notice. But yeah, she's uh, known as a that hot girl from that thing. And playing the role of Debbie Foss is Holly Gagner, who nowadays is a producer, but one of her latest uh, sort of credits was as Foxy 40-something in a 2016 episode of Scandal. I just wanted to say Foxy Fortney something on this podcast once. One thing I want to add regarding Terry Landrum, we sort of talked about her previously because now we said she's beautiful. She was on the episode centerfold of Open All Night, Open All Night, Open All Night, Open All Night. Oh, yeah, she was the centerfold. Yeah, she she was the, the titular character. Excuse the phrase titular in this case. But yeah, she was... The, the the centerfold in the episode centerfold on open all night open all night open, open, all, all, night. Night. open, open all night open all night yeah and that's the show basically and again it did really well for itself it started out on wednesdays paired up with wkrp and that'll pretty much uh you know be a bump especially if you're leading into the show which is weird for a freshman but hey cbs had faith in it well, let's remember that WKRP, this is the final season. 81-82 is the final season. But if you look at the competition, isn't it always, let's look at the competition. Look at the competition. On NBC was probably one of their few big shows. Real people. 
the first half hour real people, but even bigger. And this isn't just the case for the first episode or the second episode, but it looks like for at least the first three, maybe even four episodes, ABC was showing baseball playoffs. The ALDS in this case. Yeah, this would be uh, in the beginning of October. So, yeah. Yeah, but also remember 1981 was the strike season. That's why they had the division series in 81, like a full like 14 years before it got introduced fully when they did the realignment in 94. So once, you know, scripted television came back in 1981 in November, it was up against the first half hour of The Greatest American Hero, a show that, despite its popularity, was only on for... Two seasons. Two seasons. You want to talk about theme songs that are a bop? That's a bop. It was like a number one hit, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. But also at the same time, you know, I, I talked about ABC having baseball. It looks like this is for week, looks like week three. The baseball was on NBC. The Expos versus the Dodgers. Fernando Mania. Ooh. And also ABC that week it had a pretty big movie, at least based on the subject matter. Jacqueline Bouvier Kennedy. That's a pretty big movie. You'd know just by that name it would be a big movie. That wouldn't be some sort of little thing. That would be a big, big deal. That is indeed a big deal. But of course, with 1982, they move it to Monday. And oh, boy. It's up against the first half hour of Little House on the Prairie. Well, not just that. I'm, I'm taking a look at uh, March of 82 listings. And actually this week it was uh, airing at 830. There's a Charlie Brown special. I'm guessing maybe an Easter special with Charlie Brown since uh-huh. this is late March. The second half hour of Little House on the Prairie, but also on ABC, the second half hour of That's Incredible. Oh, that's one way of phrasing it, yeah. Yeah, so CBS had faith in this series, but perhaps it was a little too misplaced. Oh, wait, hold on. Actually, <laughs> oh, no. I, I have things to say about this, and they're not good. Uh, it looks well, like... Uh, I'm going to let you say your things, Mike. It, it looks like about a week or two before. It looks like uh, I said there's a Charlie Brown special uh, for whatever reason. Looking at the regular schedule, it was on against the first half hour of Little House on the Prairie, and that's incredible. Look at what was on after Mr. Merlin. Private Benjamin, I hate Eileen Brennan. Okay, maybe not hate, but I don't like her. You like the ending of Clue where Mrs. Peacock did it. Eileen Brennan still makes me mad like 40 years later. Stop. You're that angry over Private Benjamin 40 years later that you still have a grudge with her over it? No, I'm not mad at Private Benjamin. It's just that character annoyed me when I was a kid. I don't like Eileen Brennan. You know, now that you explain it like that, I get it. See, Greg, he gets it. She was such a heel in that movie, you can't let it go 40 years later. Nope. Mm -mm. Now... Not for nothing, because this was a pretty good show that had a lot of potential, especially overseas, where it was actually adapted into a comic strip that was published in the British magazine TV comic. 
some other shows that were adapted into strips in TV comic. The A-Team, The Avengers, Charlie's Angels, Dad's Army, Hagar the Horrible, Fireball XL5, The Dukes of Hazard, Star Trek, Tarzan, and Supercar. All right, I think we need to take a look at the ratings. I've got uh, a number of weeks of ratings here. Oh, you got the ratings? I want to hear them. I've got different uh, weeks here. And uh, I'll just give you the uh, rankings because we know there's generally between probably about 60 and 70 shows every week. So that'll be our gauge. We'll say there's like 70 shows a week. Or if you really want a nice number, you could have one less than that. In late October... It rated 23rd. See, so that you're talking, bad. you're talking top third. So nothing wrong there. Uh, and actually, the week I'm looking at, what uh, was right ahead of it at 22? Private Benjamin. Darn you, Eileen Brennan. Sorry, I had to get that on my system. Uh, <laughs> like a week later, uh, so we're talking late October, early November, 39th. So now it's like right below the halfway point. But still, uh, similar ratings to That's Incredible that we talked about earlier. Jefferson's uh, Taxi, WKRP in Cincinnati. So not terrible. Well, again, slightly below the Mendoza line, if you will, the halfway point. Uh, but then we get a week later, and it goes down to 53rd. Mm. Still ahead of WKRP in Cincinnati in different strokes, but still 53rd, uh, probably out of about 60-some or 70-some shows, not, not very good. A uh, couple weeks later, uh, moved up to 47th, and actually did uh, was there with uh, quite a number of good shows. WKRP again, Lou Grant, different strokes, Quincy, Give Me a Break, 2020. Early December. 50th. Mm. So again, below the halfway point. Uh, oh, right before Christmas, down to 61. Oh boy. It's not looking terribly good. Uh, right around the holiday time, Christmas time, back up to 42, 38 uh, in late January of 82. So again, it's sort of teetering in that mid-range or, or just below the mid-range which works for some shows but yeah not necessarily all of them uh 35th in early february 53rd a week later now at this point it's on mondays yeah uh it's going up against little house of the prairie and that's incredible right uh 35th uh late february uh, 30th and early March. So again, it's right sort of like in the middle. Uh, 41st uh, for like the second week of March. So you can see where this is going. In late March, it did jump up to 25th. That's one thing I'm noticing is instability. Yeah, I mean, it could be as high as in the uh, low to mid 20s. It could be as low as Low 60s, 35th uh, for end of uh, March. And that's the last ratings I have for the series. So it's all over the place. And I so wonder it's basically if basically 
consistently inconsistent. And I wonder if that may be the reason why it got canceled or one of, but also you're going against Little House on the Prairie, which, yeah, it had another season or two at this point, but that's incredible. That was a pretty big show for ABC at that point. And again, it's something that would air because ABC basically owned Mondays in the 80s because of That's Incredible and uh, Monday Night Football. Apparently, CBS thought that the show could bring it and it could not. But, you know, it was a show that was pretty good for what it was, which was magic, teenagers, and overall wackiness. You can watch it for yourself because 19 of the 22 episodes are available to stream for free on Crackle, with the exception of episodes 4, 14, and 17. That would be The Music's in Me, Alex Goes Popless, and How to Help a Gymnast in a Foreign Country. Now, The Music's in Me, which is episode 4, is available unofficially on YouTube, if you can find it. The remaining two episodes are assumed to be lost. You can watch it for yourself, and you can see a dithering yet doting grandpa figure and his young charge trying to use magic to be a better version of himself, and failing miserably, I should say. And also, throw in a few skateboards and the San Francisco Hills, and it made for a pretty decent and pretty magical thing on TV. Anything you want to contribute, Greg? Before we wrap this up? Oh, yeah. I want to debut a new segment on this show. It is called Corrections. Because I want to correct some things that I made in previous episodes that have been bugging me. So I figured I might as well do them right here. So... Um, can we get some music for this? Okay, in the What the Country episode, I said that Donna Dixon played Noah Vandalay's wife. That was Colleen Camp. Donna Dixon played the dream woman in, uh, Wayne's World. And also... Easy mistake to make. Easy mistake to make. And also... In the um, 1990 All-Star Game episode, I said that George Bell's son plays for the New Jersey Jackals. He does, but I said that they are in the Can-Am League, and I found out that the Can-Am League hasn't existed since 2019. They play in the Frontier League now. So if any New Jersey Jackals fans are listening, which is mostly nobody, but I figured I might as well state it for the record, the New Jersey Jackals play in the Frontier League. Well, Greg, you've inspired me to make a correction to something I mentioned two episodes ago. I said that Lance Parrish was the manager of the West Michigan Whitecaps. He isn't any longer, unfortunately. Oh. oh. There you go. I'm so glad I got that off my chest. Feel better now? I, I feel like a new man. Oh, good. Because I unfortunately have no corrections, but I'm sure I'll think of something. But in the meantime, you can check out all of our magical episodes over at ItWasTheThingOnTV.com, where you'll find all of our regular shows, our live shows, 
our presents episodes, our remasters, our minisodes, all of the fun stuff we keep over at it was a thing on TV.com. And don't forget to follow us on our socials at it was a thing on TV, except on Facebook because uh, Mr. Merlin did something really bad with Mark Zuckerberg. They're uh, at It Was A Thing On TV podcast. And when you're on YouTube, don't forget to like our videos, share our videos, spread the love. We're all about spreading love here. And while you're there, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and hit the notification bell so you will stay up to date on future entries, such as the one we have coming at you on Thursday, which will feature not one, but two shows. Alike in Dignity, Alike in Network, and Alike in the fact that they both premiered and canceled on the very same day. But Mike wanted one of these shows to run forever. This will all make sense next time, right here on It Was a Thing on TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Wow! Let's meet our celebrities. Ladies and gentlemen, Elaine Joyce and Sal Viscuso. Elaine! How are you? Oh, oh, oh. What happened? Oh, my goodness. Oh. Eat your hand, buddy. <laughs> You've heard of being pinned? Tom! Uh, does this mean we're going steady? Uh, Mike and I are. I'm sorry, Tom, you're going to have to talk into my boob.